0: what's up everybody this is big nate and this is the podcast let's talk about creepy stuff pretty self-explanatory we're going to talk about creepy stuff places things people anything creepy it's always been an interest of mine so stay tuned and i hope you enjoy the episode so today i want to go over another relationship gone bad well very bad The online affair of Richard McCroskey and Emma Niederbrock seemed like many others, but it wouldn't end well at all. Um, Every time I've tried to record this, it just hasn't turned out right, so hopefully third time's the charm. That's what we're going to hope for, that the third time is definitely the charm. Um, But yeah, this was a relationship gone bad that ended up causing damage to a lot of people and ended up... uh, in a murder spree and so um yeah this is brutal so viewer discretion advised on this one but let's start it was music that linked richard or psycho sam mccroskey and emma niederbrock from the beginning um richard was a amateur horrorcore rapper and if you don't know what that is it's basically like rap with like dark themes to it most of the people that do it you know paint their faces and You know, it's kind of like goth rap or something like that. Um, And so this was kind of the aesthetic that most of the people in this story uh, went with. And um, the murders and all that stuff, you know, I'm not saying that this theme of horror core was what led to this. But um, I think we're just dealing with a guy that had some mental issues. But needless to say, uh, it's always going to, you know... More than likely not in will when we do stories on here so uh but anyway so psycho Sam aka Richard McCroskey and emma niederbrock hit it off online because they're both into horrorcore uh, and uh Emma uh, was 15 years old which is weird because Richard was 19 and they met online in 2008 and they got to be super close but like I said this relationship would turn out bad in the worst way possible so first Let's talk about Richard, aka Psycho Sam. Richard Alden Samuel McCroskey III was born December 26th, twi- December Twix. <laughs> he was a candy bar. No, he wasn't. All right. Uh, he was born December 26th, 1988, 1988. I can't talk. December 26th, 1988, in Hayward, California, a city in the East Bay subregion of the San Francisco Bay Area, where he lived with his parents and older sister Sarah. In 2003, the McCroskey family moved to Castro Valley, California. Uh, and sadly for Richard and Sarah, uh, their parents split up in the year 2009. And this had an effect on Richard because his mom actually uh, ended up leaving the home. And so that would be hard on any kid for sure. The McCroskeys apparently weren't like an unhappy, weird, you know, dysfunctional family. They just weren't very, leave it to beaver. Uh, is what Sarah McCroskey described them as. Um, They just weren't very touchy-feely. But, you know, sometimes that can be the reason people kind of dive over on the wrong side because they feel like they're not loved, taken care of, and have no attention. And so, you know, it can lead to some dark things. But not shaming the family. Everybody's responsible for their own decisions, and, you know, it is what it is. But uh, Richard uh, pretty much hated school and he became a dropout he he was bullied for being an outcast because he was a little overweight Um, he was a redhead he was into the stuff he was into and people just made fun of him for it Um, and so he was bullied and so he said you know what the heck with all this i'm getting out of here um his sister sarah said that he was really kind of to himself and really you know just kind of docile he didn't really pick fights or anything and um he just liked to kind of blend in and, and get away from people he didn't like it uh, like uh the social scene of things with people making fun of him and who would you know um, and so he just decided to leave that life altogether and just you know drop out um and because of all the bullying and the shyness you know richard really didn't have any friends um so he just kind of hung out on the internet, and that's where Myspace comes in. Some of y'all are gonna know what Myspace is because it was the thing before Facebook took over the world. Um, But Myspace used to be where it was hopping, and so I said hopping. (laughs) But Richard immersed himself in there, and on there he could be something he wasn't in real life. He wanted to be this horrorcore rapper that was hardcore, didn't take crap from anybody, and he could portray that image online. In 2008, Richard was living at home, and he was working as a graphic designer uh, online for people. He helped design their stuff, their graphics and everything, Um, and he was trying to make it in the horrorcore rap scene. Um, I listened to some of his stuff, and it was, yeah, it's pretty dark. Um, He went by the name Psycho Sam, and he used this platform on MySpace to make friends with uh, horrorcore artists and fans and, um, you know, he was at least decently known in this kind of, in this community. Um, here's some of the lyrics he wrote for his Psycho Sam project. You're not the first, just to let you know, I've killed many people and I killed them real slow. It's the best feeling, watching their last breath, stabbing and stabbing till there's nothing left. Yeah, there is a buku of dead, like, of red flags in that. (laughs) Like, just, yeah, uh, now uh, I want to talk about Emma a little bit. Emma Niederbrock was born October fifteenth, nineteen ninety-two. Um, her parents are Mark Niederbrock and Debra Deborah Kelly, um, and they she was born in Champaign, Illinois. Um, the family left Illinois uh, and moved to Farmville in Central Virginia. Um, Mark was a man of the cloth. He was a pastor at Walker's Presbyterian Church in Hicksburg, Virginia in 2003. And Deborah was a professor. She was um, a professor for uh, sociology and criminal justice um, at Longwood University in Farmville. So, uh, yeah, two, you know, very respectful uh, positions in life. Um, And they homeschooled Emma uh, ever since she was in middle school. And so... Uh, At the beginning of 2009, Mark and Deborah decided to get a divorce, but not like a nasty one. Apparently, they still got along well, co-parented well. It wasn't an ugly thing. Um, But Emma chose to stay with her mom, and the father opted to move out. And so, like I said, apparently mom and dad still worked well together and co-parented well. Um, And so it wasn't just a a nasty situation. Divorce is never good, per se, um, but I like it when people uh, can work things out, even... You know, even though their marriage didn't work out, especially for their kids. So, Emma being homeschooled, parents divorced, you know, staying at home a lot, she uh, takes to MySpace. That's where she goes by the handle Ragdoll. And she's very much into horrorcore, and she's in within the same community as Richard. Um, and so on this page, you know, uh, on, on her page, uh, as Ragdoll, she got to reach out to different people in the horrorcore community. She got to keep up with festivals, things that were coming up. And so she pretty much had her own life on there, just like Richard did. And on September, 2008, Emma, uh, met horrorcore rapper Richard Psycho Sam McCroskey. And like I said, it was an odd thing because she's 15 and he's 19. So there's kind of a huge, kind of a big little age gap there. Um, but that didn't stop the two from talking online and on the phone all the time. Is it inappropriate? Completely, I think so. But you know, sadly, this is a normal thing on the internet. It seems like um, it's kind of a double-edged sword. The internet. You'll hear me say that a lot because a lot of good can happen from it, but then there's also a lot of bad as well. Um, so as they're chatting, uh, they they do this like every day on the phone or online um for about a year so in september 2009 emma 16 year old at this point and 20 year old richard were almost seen as a couple um richard kind of saw her as his girlfriend but it's kind of unclear if emma was herself believing she was in that role though she was flirtatious with him it's just kind of hard to tell he just seems more serious than she did um but anyway uh there was a festival coming up called Strictly for the Wicked, and this was a horrorcore festival that was going to be on September twelfth in two thousand nine in Southgate, Michigan. Emma told her best friend, eight-year-old Melanie Wells, that they should go, and they they were like, "Yeah, let's do it." And then uh, they were like, "This would be a good opportunity to meet Richard." So they're excited you know, about going to this festival together, their best buds, it's gonna be awesome. And then they're like, well, why don't we go ahead and invite Richard so Emma can meet him IRL in real life. So Richard was more than happy to go and he made plans to do so. Um Emma's parents were kinda on the fence about that, which I yeah, who wouldn't be? I wouldn't let a twenty year old come hang out with my sixteen year olds. But yeah, apparently um they went ahead and gave in and said, sure, you know, let's let's make this happen because they wanted to make Emma Happy. Um, so Mark and Deborah, uh, Emma's parents say, Yep, you can do it, but we're gonna drive you guys. So Emma, Melanie, and Richard, uh were okay to go, and Mark and Deborah were gonna kind of be uh chaperones in a sense. Um and Mark and Deborah were like, We'll drop you guys off at the festival and then we'll go find something to do in the city for a while so y'all can have fun. Um, you gotta admit, like, they're pretty chill. Uh, Parents Maybe a little bit lax, you know, lackadaisical. (laughs) Maybe that's the right word to use in the parenting department. But, you know, we're all just trying to figure stuff out. But um, I definitely wouldn't let a 20-year-old hang out with my 16-year-old. So they're kind of supervising and they're kind of not because they're still dropping them off. But they say, hey, that's the stipulation, which, you know, Emma apparently didn't have any problem with that. Neither did Melanie and neither did Richard. So on September 6th, Richard left California to head to Virginia. Um, Flew there I believe and Emma was excited to finally be meeting him in person and we know this because of what She posted on his myspace. She says on September 7th. Next time you check your myspace You'll be at my house and then she says I love you. So s o o o So capital so (laughs) much baby forever and for always so when I see that I'm like of course this guy thinks this girl is dating him you know like she's totally off the market and she's all for him um but you know he just seems well you'll see as we go um but apparently she never just set that in stone that she was his girlfriend um so richard shows up uh to meet emma either like on the 7th or the 8th of september somewhere in that range um and melanie arrived at emma's on the 7th i don't really know which one got there first. I'm assuming Melanie did. Um, But this drive was going to be a long one because from Farmville, Virginia to Southgate, Michigan is about a 10 hour trip. It's 639 miles. Um, It's 10 hours if you don't stop. Um, And so the festival doors opened at 1pm on September 12th. So I don't know if they took the straight shot there uh, or if they stopped or, or whatever but they're driving there and they've got these with them Emma Melanie and Richard so I guess it doesn't matter much but you know I don't know how I know that they drove there and that's all I know so but either way they got there so let's get down to the meeting you know um, before this road trip between Emma and Richard for the first time so when Emma first locked on to Richard the day he arrived uh, at her house she was not impressed whatsoever he had pretty much done the thing, like my one of my friend's t-shirts says. It said, uh, you look better on MySpace. Like, that's cool that shirts like that exist. But it just shows how old school that would be today. But, you know, Facebook wasn't the only place people could alter their pictures. You could do it on MySpace, too. And he had evidently done this to make himself look a lot more... Uh, handsome and whatever online and so in reality he looked like a completely different person than the guy she'd been talking to for a year Um he looked like he was way younger than 20 years old and he was a short kind of a pretty short guy Um he Wore really, really baggy clothes. um, Which really, for the aesthetic they were going for, wasn't odd. But uh, apparently his hair was really greasy and he just combed it down. He had like greasy red hair. And he just combed it straight down, his veins, like onto his forehead. And Emma was like, I do not find this man attractive at all. So, on top of that, he was also really goofy and kiddish, apparently. Wasn't the mature older boy like he acted like online. This dark, tormented, cool... Psycho Sam, horrorcore rapper, who's more like a very shy kid with greasy hair in person, and she was not impressed. If you see pictures of Emma and Melanie and all them, like they're they're um, cute girls, and so uh, you know she probably had a certain kind of style she was looking for, and he didn't quite meet that. Um, though it said like you know she was nice to him, but she just was really standoffish. She wasn't affectionate. You know this dude's probably hoping. As soon as he sees her she's gonna throw her arms around him and they're gonna kiss and it's gonna be this big Dramatic thing and it was not that at all. She was just like oh, hey. Oh, man. What do I do now? Well, let me make the best of it. We're going to a cool festival So Richard Kind of thought, well, maybe once we get in our element at the festival, we kind of start having fun, we enjoy the music, we start vibing in the community we like, maybe she'll loosen up and kind of give me a shot. But this didn't happen at all, because actually, uh, she starts pursuing other guys, um, and she's being flirted with by other guys. Like I said, she was an attractive girl. Um, So the situation only got worse, because now she's not only being a little bit aloof from Richard, she is actually pursuing other guys uh at the festival Um, one source said that she actually might have been intimate with one of the the people at the festival that was not richard and if that was the case i bet he really was mad um according to the eyewitnesses around the festival you know emma was barely even hanging out with richard like the whole time. She was completely away from him. Her and Melanie were doing their thing, flirting with other boys, and yeah. So, Richard didn't take any of this well, which nobody would, right? I mean, most people are normal. This guy, you'll see, is not, but yeah. So things just aren't going well for him. It's just all festering up, like he's, he's flown down here. He's went to this festival. He's been excited to meet this girl. He's been crazy about her for a year. He thinks it's his girlfriend, and she is obviously not and she's going around and even talking with and maybe a little extra with some other guys it's not working out for him and he's getting mad so the festival was over at 11 p.m. on September 12th and the following day Emma, Melanie, Richard and Emma's parents drove back to Farmville from Michigan and at 2.43 a.m. on Monday September 14th Melanie posted to her MySpace page this is Emma's friend Melanie she says that the festival was freaking amazing. Back in Virginia now, be back in West Virginia on uh, Wednesday. I miss everyone. So, after this post on her MySpace page, Melanie pretty much ghosted. Like, for the following, you know, days uh, and more. Basically, no one heard from her. Um, Her friends didn't hear anything from her, her family didn't hear anything from her, um, and that was really off. That was way off to those that knew her. She usually was in contact with someone, you know, all the time. She let everybody know stuff. She was not one of these people that just ghosted for two or three days. So after failed attempt, after failed attempt to reach her, um, Thomas and Kathleen Wells, Melanie's parents, got worried, and who wouldn't be? And on Wednesday, September 16th, um, this was the day Melanie was supposed to, you know, be back, uh... You know, he's like, okay, I'm going to figure, the dad, Thomas, is like, I'm going to figure out what's going on. And he drove 200 miles from Edwood, Inwood, West Virginia, to Farmville, because he's going to find out what's going on with his daughter. Nobody answered the door when he got to the address. He knew where she was supposed to be staying, and uh, so he said, okay, they're probably out doing something, having fun. I'm just going to sit outside in my car and wait, but nobody was coming. He hoped that, you know, maybe it was a misunderstanding, maybe she was going to be back the next day either way he's a good dad he drove up there and he wanted to make sure everything was okay Um, but he waited for like seven hours and nobody showed up and he was like okay nobody's coming and so reluctantly he headed back uh, home but he, he was just like something's not right with any of this um so when he got home and he didn't have any good news you know any kind of you know word from melanie His wife, Kathleen, Melanie's mother, um, started calling anybody she could think of that might have an idea where they could be. Um, She tried to call Emma's home a whole bunch of times, but nobody answered. And so they're just at a loss. Um, Now, there was a certain record label called Serial Killing Records. I know this sounds like a sidetrack, but it's not. It has something to do with this. Um, it was a little independent horrorcore label, and it was owned by a guy named Andre Shrim, Um And it was based in Albuquerque, New Mexico. So a lot of the music that Melanie and Emma and Richard listened to was produced by this Serial Killing Records. And so they're the ones that also organized this festival called Strictly for the Wicked that they all had just went to. Um, and so... Apparently... This guy, Andre, actually did well with keeping in touch with his fans. Um, and so he would talk to them online and everything else. And basically Kathleen, Melanie's mom, investigated this guy. because She's like, what are they into? So she literally is looking up the, the artists they listen to. And she's like, I'm going to contact this guy and see if he has any information. And she gives him a call and he picks up. And he tells her that, yeah, he knows who Melanie, Emma, and Richard are. You know, they're friends online. And he said that he did see them at the festival, um, and he watched them leave. He saw them actually get in the car and leave as well. And so um, he said he would keep his ear to the ground, but that's as far as he knew was when they left the festival. So he he was at least able to give her good information on where they had been, Um, but after the festival he didn't have any clue, and so... It helps, but it didn't help, you know what I mean? Still left a lot of things unanswered. But he said he'd keep his ear to the ground and let him know if he heard anything else. So after calling Andre, um, Kathleen called Emma's home again. And this time, she actually did get an answer, and it was Richard. And Kathleen was like, hey, thank God I finally reached somebody. Where is my daughter? And he wouldn't give her a straight answer. He just kind of beat around the bush. I think in one, he said, oh, I think they went to the movies or whatever, you know, like he just wouldn't give her a straight answer. And she was like, this kid's lying to me, but what can she do? So on the morning of Thursday, September 17th, Kathleen takes it a step further and she's like, I'm contacting the police in Farmville because it's been too long, something's wrong. So she explained everything to them and they said, can you please just go by the house and do a welfare check? And they do. Um, And so when they get there to uh, Emma and Deborah's house, um, they're greeted by Richard at the front door. And then they're like, hey, where's the girls at? And his, you know, Melanie, especially her mom's been calling. So what's up? And he said, oh, they're at the movies. They all left. And I just wanted to stay home. So the police didn't really know who Richard was. And then maybe he told them he was Emma's boyfriend or a friend of the family or whatever, um, but they didn't think he was lying, so they left. Um, so <clears throat> excuse me, Kathleen had told him everything that was going on, but they just still they they're like, ah, oh, it's probably just a big misunderstanding. Um, and so Kathleen, you know, though she's a worried mom, her daughter's 18 years old. And so they're just not as worried about it as their mom is because this girl's technically adult and can do what she wants and she may not want to talk to her mom. So they just don't think anything is bad yet. Um, so basically, the police uh, didn't have any clue that, you know, Richard wasn't who he said he was, you know, whether he said he was a boyfriend or a family friend. They just didn't see any reason to think anything suspicious he's just like oh they went to the movies and they're like oh yeah well that explains it we'll just let her know so after this welfare check that they said seemed normal um on the morning of september 17th um kathleen called mark niederbrock which is emma's dad and she said okay i can't get a hold of anybody your wife or your daughter and the only person i've talked to is this richard kid and i'm worried so he knows that something's up. She knows like it. it's seems odd. And he says, you know, Mark's about 20 minutes away from Farmville where he lives. And he said, I'm going to go check it out. Um, and so Deborah and Emma, like I said, him and Deborah had a good relationship, even though they were divorced and, you know, I would assume him and Emma did because they co-parented still. And so it, it would be odd that any of this was going on because they seem like the kind of parents that are at least good at communicating because they seem like educated people and no one's hearing from them so he tells her he's going to go but don't worry about it um as soon as he talks to him he's going to give him a call and so that was around 5 p.m that day so the thing is kathleen never heard from mark again after that phone call so there's even more reason to worry so on the morning of september 18th kathleen called the police again and she was like i've had it You're going to do something like I'm tired of this like it's it's over like this is all too weird and something's wrong so after this the police are like okay you know like you know we'll 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 try (laughs) like like I'm sorry I'm not a cop so I'm not trying to make fun but it's like finally after this call after all these measures have been taken the cops are like okay we'll we'll go we'll go check things out again. So the police arrived at the house around 3:20 p.m. on Friday, September 18th, but the door was unlocked, and they thought that was weird. And it seemed like nobody was home because Richard, the kid who'd spoken to the previous day, he wasn't even there. Like nobody seemed home. But when they opened the door, they got a whiff of what can, the unmistakable stench of dead flesh. And if you've ever smelled that before, there's nothing else that smells that way. And so, they knew exactly what it was. And that gave them probable cause to go ahead and enter the home. So, uh, apparently on CNN, there was a lady that said that she'd been walking by the home, a neighbor. um, And so, it was around September 17th. And they kept talking about how bad there, there was this dead smell in the neighborhood. But they just assumed it was some kind of animal. They had no idea where it was really coming from and what was causing it. So, Inside the home, police found three dead bodies in what looked like Emma's bedroom downstairs. And the discovery of the bodies was what allowed them to obtain a full-on search warrant so they could go through the whole house. Um, Once they had their warrant um, and they were able to perform a full search of the home, they discovered another body in a room upstairs. The bodies found in the home belonged to Mark Niederbrock, Emma's dad, Deborah Kelly, Emma's mom, Emma herself and Melanie Wells, Emma's best friend. And Richard's just gone. Although, you know, they weren't formally identified until Monday of September 21st, they knew who they were. The scene was described by police as being so horrifying, they wouldn't even go into detail. Um, they just said that the, the victims had died from blunt force trauma. They was so grotesque and nasty, they didn't even want to be, they didn't even want to tell any details. So, after going through the evidence in the home and they get online and look up, you know, their MySpace accounts, uh, the ones for Emma and Melanie. Um, it didn't take long for the cops to figure out Richard had been with them this entire time. They went to a festival together. He was supposed to be staying with them in the home. Um, and they had come back there to this home together. Um, but then all these bodies are here and Richard's gone and they're like, you know what? It's time for a manhunt, right? They're going to go find Richard McCroskey because apparently, well, I mean, obviously, he's suspect number one in this. Um, And then there was a cop, uh, the one that had initially talked to Richard during the welfare check. When he saw the pictures of him, he said, yeah, that was the kid that was here that day. So, now, rewinding just a little, much earlier on Friday, September 18th, at around 4 a.m., Um, A homeowner who lived on Poor House Road in Farmville had called the police because there was a car stuck in the ditch at the end of their driveway. And a tow truck and a deputy showed up at the home because they're going to, you know, get this thing figured out. And Richard's the one driving the car. Um, He doesn't have a license, but he tells them that this was his girlfriend's dad's car. And so he was just driving it, and so he gets a ticket for not having a license. But they're kind of like, mm, you know, he's a kid, you know, whatever. Um, we're going to give him the ticket, but they uh, they didn't suspect anything crazy. So the bodies of Mark, Deborah, and Emma, Emma, and Melanie, Mark, Deborah, Emma, and Melanie, wouldn't be discovered for another twelve hours from then. So Richard wasn't under suspicion or anything. And so somehow, while the cop and Richard were talking, um, it came up that Sam was like, I'm not from here. I'm actually getting ready to fly home to California tomorrow. Um, and so on the 19th and the tow truck driver that was there pulling the car out of the ditch, uh, his name was Elton Napier. And he said, well, I'll give you a ride, you know, uh, to where you need to go. And he said, sure, you know, I'll give you a ride to the airport. And he said, uh, sure can you stop by the gas station on the way and and he agreed and so basically he gets in the tow truck and Richard stinks so bad that Elton Napier is like rolling the window down sticking his head outside because he said he's trying not to gag he said he stunk like the devil and he'd never you know he'd been in this you know home full of decomposing bodies Um, so of course he smelled now up to this point Richard's getting off pretty lucky because nobody's able to, uh, pin you know, they haven't figured it out yet. And so he's come into contact with the cops multiple times and still hasn't got arrested. They still haven't suspected him of anything because they don't know anything's went on yet. So Richard caught a cab <clears throat> to Richmond International Airport on the evening of Friday the 18th. And he was like, I'm just going to stay the night in the baggage claim. Uh, and then the next day, I'm gonna I'm gonna ride I'm gonna fly out to California, and so basically they're looking for him at this point. Um, and so he told the the deputy that had given him a ticket at 4 a.m. for the car being in the ditch said, Hey, I know who you're looking for. I know where he's going. And so they're like, Well, we're gonna track him down then. So early in the morning of September 19th, police show up and r- arrest Richard McCroskey at the airport. Um, he'd been sleeping in a chair in the baggage claim and uh he was charged initially with the murder of mark niederbrock and grand larceny for stealing mark's car and for taking money out of mark's wallet but there was going to be some more charges that got added on to this after it came out that richard had been arrested his friends and family were kind of like wow that's completely out of character Um, we can't believe he would do anything like this but he did on monday september 21st almeida county sheriff's office deputies served a search warrant At the McCroskey home in Castro Valley, California. And they took all of Richard's phones, computers, pretty much anything he would have had anything to do with. Um, And so his family knows that he's involved in something pretty bad. Um, His sister says, I just fell to my knees. I couldn't see. I couldn't talk. I feel I failed as his big sister. So, excuse me. Sarah knew something bad had happened on September 17th uh, before any of this came to be because... She knew something was up anyway because Richard had called and he said he just wanted to check on everybody and uh, told them that he loved them. And she said that was way out of his character to do something like that. And so she knew something was going on, but she didn't think it was to this magnitude. But while they're arresting Richard at the airport, there was a reporter that caught wind of what was going on and showed up um, at this arrest site and they and, and happened to ask a question and said, Why did you do what you did? And he said, Jesus made me do it. Being sarcastic, being a jerk, it's almost like he's not even remorseful for what he did. Um, members of Mark Niederbrock's church responded to this comment from Sam and said, "I think it's deeply rooted in Satan if you know if you want to know the truth I mean, I don't blame him for thinking that, do you um, on October 19, thousand nine Richard McCroskey was uh indicted on six counts of capital murder. One for each of his four victims, as well as capital murder for murdering multiple people within three years. So he ain't getting out of jail. He'll be there for the rest of his life. The evidence against him was overwhelming. His court-appointed attorney, Kerry Bowen, told Richard that they would have uh, have to reach a plea deal in order to avoid trial. Um, and that way they wouldn't have to deal with the death penalty. So about a year later... On September 20th, 2010, Richard McCroskey pled guilty to two counts of capital murder and two counts of first-degree murder and gave up his right to an appeal. And so he was given four life sentences in prison. So like I said, he ain't getting out. Uh, Prince Edward County uh, Commonwealth's attorney, Jim Ennis, said uh, that he thinks the motive for this was... uh, Richard had an expectation of a relationship with him and Brock. Um and then it didn't turn out like he thought it was, and it, it drove him to rage, and, and then he acted completely on impulse. Um, the families of the victims didn't want to talk to the media, but they did put out a written statement, and they were expressing that they were glad that justice was served on Richard. Um, Richard didn't say anything during or after the hearing, but he was smirking a lot of the time. Um, he was smile or like when he was leaving the courtroom, he would smirk and, um, he just didn't act like he cared at all. Um, his lawyer, his lawyer kind of tried to plead the case that he was remorseful, but nobody was seeing that on the, and by the way of his body language, Richard McCroskey, uh, yeah, was pretty much never going to get out of prison. Still there. Um. I don't know if he's dead or not right now. I don't think he is, so I think he's pretty much there. Uh, He's still alive, but he's not, he's pretty much there. Um, He's still alive, but he's just rotting away in jail. So after the hearing, Richard's lawyer relayed Richard's statement to the media regarding what happened to Mark, Deborah, Emma, and Melanie. So here is what happened the night that all of these victims were killed. Richard was upset about Emma, and he was just full-on enraged uh, toward Emma because she pretty much, he feels like he was let on for a year, and then she just totally rejected him when they met. And I'm not justifying what he did. I'm just saying this is what they believe caused this. But Mark, Deborah, and Melanie, like, what did they do? You know, they were just kind of in the wrong place at the wrong time. Um, Richard had been drinking and smoking weed, And, uh, he was trying to deal with this, uh, you know, this heartbreak, I guess you would call it. And it just turned more and more into rage, uh, while he's, you know, doing what he's doing to try to get in a better state of mind. I guess it actually goes the wrong direction. So Melanie was killed first while she was asleep on the couch in the den, um, Richard came upon her with a ball-peen hammer, apparently, and, yeah, smashed her head in. Um, he then killed Deborah in the room upstairs, and then finally, Emma in her downstairs bedroom. Um, all three women got murdered in the early hours of September 15th, and he used the hammer on all of them. Um, none of them apparently woke up during their attacks, Uh, indicated by the absence of any defensive wounds. Like Richard didn't have any claw marks or anything. Like he totally snuck up and killed them in their sleep. They had no chance. Um, From around 3 a.m. on Tuesday, September 15th to 5 p.m. on Thursday, September 17th, uh, when Mark had showed up at the house to check in, you remember uh, Melanie's mom had called Mark to go check in, Richard had been in the home with these three dead bodies. That he had bludgeoned to death with a hammer, and he just stayed in the home. So this would be why he smelled so bad. While the bodies are decomposing, Richard's just hanging out in there. Um. When Mark had showed up to the home on September 17th, um, you know he was he was gonna call. He was supposed to call Kathleen, Melanie's mom, back once he figured out what was going on. Um, but he never got. She never got a call back. And the reason was is. Um, when he came in the home, he was ambushed in a room downstairs. Mark was ultimately beaten to death with an eight pound wood splitting maul. so yeah, he had bludgeoned mark to death as well, so that that's where so he he killed Mark um, after murdering Mark. He dragged his and melanie 's body into emma 's room, and for whatever the reason he was going to clean up the den um, I don't know, he's probably just not thinking right at all. I mean, you have to be in a different place to do this, to brutally murder four people. He also recorded a video of himself, um, and he was saying like he knew he'd have to pay the consequences for what he'd done, and he was talking about possibly committing suicide, which he obviously didn't do. At 3.45 a.m. on Friday, September 18th, Richard fled the scene in Mark Niederbrock's 2000 Honda. Um, after stealing the cash from Mark's wallet. And then shortly after, he got the car stuck in a ditch, which is why the neighbor called the cops to, you know, and they got a tow truck to pull him out. Um, They had no idea they were dealing with a murderer right then. Um, So that's what happened that night, um, that Richard, AKA Psycho Sam, actually bludgeoned all these people to death in a horrible way. Um, I listened to a guy on YouTube named Pee Wee um that actually shared a cell with Richard when he was in jail for about 6 years and he he was in the the cell with uh Richard for 90 days. He claims that Richard was blunt about what he had done um but said that he regretted it and was remorseful, which he didn't show that in the court thing, but when you've been in jail for as long that for a while maybe your perspective changes. He claims that Richard was treated like crap in prison. Well, You know, he kind of deserves it because they knew what his crime was. And he had bludgeoned these people to death while they were asleep. So he didn't get any respect. Like prison's all about respect from what I've gathered from reading about it and and watching, you know, prisoners talk on interviews. And if they find out what your crime is, if you're like a pedophile or if you're a a rapist or if you're like a, uh, you know, you, you were a coward, you know, like the way you killed somebody, you get treated like crap in prison. And so apparently he got punked out a lot. People were taking advantage of him. But Pee Wee said there was still something creepy about him. Enough so that Pee Wee didn't even want to close his eyes. Like he didn't want to cover his eyes up. He said he commonly covered his eyes with a towel when he went to sleep because it helped block the light out because so there'd be a light in their cell. He said, but he was still, there was just something off about Richard that made him want to continually keep his guard up and he said I kept him in arm's length at all times and did not associate with him in the pod where they would all come out together he said he was his roomie but that was it he had nothing else to do with him and he said he was very creepy um, and this is a guy you know he said I think he could he believed he could have took him in a fight um, he said but there was still just something about him that creeped him out and so you know that's a lot of negative energy wrapped in that dude. So I imagine, yeah, I bet he was putting out a nasty vibe. So that is the case of Psycho Sam or the Farmville murders. Uh, my credits are a Morbid podcast. You'll hear me say that a lot because I like to listen to Morbid and a few others like Mr. Ballin. You know, all these guys. Um, but you can find this case about anywhere. Uh, but Morbid did a good job with it. Um, I looked up some stuff on TalkMurderWithMe.com. Um, a lot of what I have in my notes... Uh, came from them and then i watched the after prison show which is on youtube where i learned about pee wee and uh, how he had spent some time in a cell with psycho sam so anyway guys i hope you enjoyed it and i hope you stay tuned for the next one